spines you can know and, and believe about the Bible. The Bible has been breathed out by the Spirit of God. Breathed out. God is the source and the ultimate author of Scripture. Though written by humans, right? Written by human authors, Scripture nevertheless has the full weight of his authority. So just, I'm just laying a foundation here for you. Right? The Bible from start to finish and down to its very words are the inerrant word of God. Okay? Inerrant word of God. And I'm not even talking about translations. All right? We can fight all day about words and, and what they mean and where they originated from and all that. But I'm just talking about the scriptures are, are breathed out by God. Got a quote for you. B.B. Warfield. The Greek term, theonestos, breathed out by God, refers to all scripture and not just portions of it. He says, in other words, the entirety of the canon of scripture down to the individual words themselves were given by God and therefore entirely true. The Bible affirms no errors and is the only, the only infallible source of, or infallible source of Christian doctrine. It's the only infallible source, okay? So, you're right, I'm probably going to pick on devotionals here in a minute, and that's okay, all right? You can email Luke, don't email me. But here's the deal. It's the only infallible source of Christian doctrine, okay? Your Beth Moore devotional cannot say the same thing, right? Your John Piper Don't Waste Your Life book cannot say the same thing. This is the only infallible source of Christian, Christian doctrine you have, right? And, and as of today, there's no excuse why you don't need, why you shouldn't have one. You can have an electronic version, a printed version, a big printed version, a little printed version, a pocket version, right? You can do, you have all different ways. But here's, here's where we're getting, here's where we're moving, right? This, this isn't good news to a lot of us in the room. What I'm just talking about, what I've been, what I've been preaching about for the past 10 minutes, right? This, this isn't good news to us. And let me tell you why. Let me share with you why this isn't good news. We're going to look at Genesis 3-7. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to throw it up on the screen. I'm going to start in Genesis 3. So I'm going all the way back to the beginning. Does everybody know what happened in Genesis 3? What was the big, what was the big movement that happened in Genesis 3? Anyone want to shout it out? What's that? The fall of man. So verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. What happened right there? What was going on with Adam and Eve in that moment? They were what? Ashamed. Right? They were ashamed. And because they were ashamed, because they felt shame, now shame brought on themselves, not shame, not shame from God. Shame they brought on themselves, right? What was their defense mechanism? What'd they do? They covered. Right? Duck and cover. Like, oh, oh I'm shamed. I'm, I now i gotta, now I got to cover up. Right? Let's keep reading. Verse 3. Go on to verse 8. We're going to read 8 through 10 here. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So he's what? He was afraid. So what did he do? Hid. Right? Goes beyond covering. Now we're behind the screen. Right? Now we're, 
Don't see me. You can't see me. Keep reading. Verse 11. He said, God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Then the man said, the woman you gave me, gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So now what happened? God confronts them and they feel what? Guilty. Right? Then what do they start doing? Yeah. Start acting like y'all. Y'all's marriage is, they did it. I didn't do it. Right? Guys, right? Start pointing at other people. Ladies. Right? Start blaming, shifting blame. Like we, we do it. We do it in our marriages, we do it at work, we do it in our relationships. So, so what we see is the, 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 the progression in this passage is we see shame, fear, and guilt. Then we see covering, hiding, and blaming. All right? Now let me tell you how this works for us today and, and, then, and then tie it into this, right? Guilt, right, or shame, sorry. Shame, we, 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 are, we are literally at the core of it. Some of us in here, maybe not all of us, are sometimes ashamed of this book. Right? You're ashamed of, 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 of a God that looks like he, he kills innocent people. Right? It looks, it, he looks like he's mean. So we get, we're ashamed of it. We're, we don't know what to do with it. And then we read it. We don't take the time to dig in and properly understand it. And then we become ashamed by it. Anybody ever here, been here and felt ashamed because of a verse you read and it's convicted you? Or, or you felt con condemned? Right? And you begin, to, you just want to kind of just... I'll read that tomorrow. We'll come back to that one, you know. Or you, you're reading something you don't like, and you're like, oh, man. You're reading Job, and you're like, let's flip over the New Testament. It's a little bit happier over here. Let's, let's flip over here, right? So, so, so that's, that's what we, we, we work through these moments. And then, and then we become fearful, right? We become fearful when we don't understand what this says. Is there something wrong with me? Right? Did I not get it in my felt board Sunday school theology class? Right? Anybody in here have felt boards as kids? Right? Did I not get that? Like the cutout of, of Noah? Like, I don't understand. Like, like you start to struggle with that. You become fearful that, that, that you won't understand it or that you don't understand it. And then the fear sets in that you're going to be found out. You're such a fraud. Right? I don't have, just full disclosure, I don't have some master in divinity or Hebrew and Greek or whatever. I've never been to seminary. Right, so my fear in Scripture is that I won't understand it, and I'll get up here and look like a fool. Right, so it doesn't. The bug doesn't stop with you; it happens to me as well. Right, we we struggle with that. We struggle that we'll we we'll found out we're phonies. Right, and then we become guilt. We feel guilt driven. Right, that we, that we feel so guilty that we we don't read it. We become guilty because we're we become feeling guilty because we're not reading it. Right, anybody in here feeling guilty because they didn't read their Bible this week? Right. And then we feel guilty for not understanding it. So what do we start doing? We start grasping at things, right? Well, if I, if, I, if I read this book over here on the five points of tulip Calvinism, then I'll understand. Well, if I read, if I read John Piper's 3,800 books that he wrote, I'll understand, right? We all have our celebrities we follow, these celebrity authors, right? And we start to, we start to do that. And so... So, and I, and I feel it all kind of culminates in this one idea, and I think it originates in our hearts and starts with our broken, distorted, disgusting views of our own daddies, right? Because everybody in this room has daddy issues, right, including me, 
Everyone has daddy issues, right? So then when we read about a father in this scripture that's supposed to take care of us, love us, nurture us, provide for us, and then you start listing out all the things your dad failed at, and you realize my dad didn't look like none of that, it's very easy to start drawing a line to, then this, the, the, the dad of this Bible isn't going to take care of me just like the dad of the earth didn't, right? Is everybody on the same page? And if you had a great dad, that's awesome, but I'm sure he failed in some capacity at some point. There's no perfect person in this room. And my dad, where it started with me and where I struggled is my dad left me when I was 15, right? On and off. He was on and off in our house my whole life, um, alcoholic, all that. But he, he actually left our home and never lived back home when I was 15. Well, what he would do is he began writing me letters at 15. He would send me letters in the mail, okay? And I would get these letters, and, and, and I got to tell you, I wasn't that jacked up to get the letters, right? I just told you it's exciting to get the letters as a kid. For me, it was not that exciting. So I, I started to read these letters, and, and those letters weren't that great, okay? They started out great. Hey, son, love you. Hey, what's going on in football? How's basketball going? And, and understand, this is my dad who's left our family, right? Left me while I was at driver's ed, okay? When I was 15, I came home because he was going to teach me to drive his Subaru Brat. Does everybody know what a Subaru Brat is, right? I was so pumped because it was a stick and I was going to learn. My dad was going to teach me. I left, and when I came home, he was moving to Alabama. He was gone. That's not something you just jump on a whim. He knew before I walked out the door, he would be gone before I got back home, okay? So getting these letters, not that fun. Right? And in these letters, as he's, as he's talking to me, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, as, he, as I'm processing the fact of, you're saying that you love me. You say that, you, you, you know, you, it was just hard for you and mom to get together, like, or to get on the same page. And then in the middle of it, he goes, oh, hey, the next time you come to Alabama, could you bring my golf clubs? I'm like, what? Golf clubs? If I could cuss right now, I would, right? Because I did. I'm like, are you? You, are you kidding me? You're going to talk about golf clubs in this? Right? So the weird part is, is I still have those letters. I keep them in a box. And I, I don't, I'm not sure why. They're, they're not going to change. But, but what that's done for me, and, I, and I'm, I'm hoping I'm touching some nerves with you, is the fact that I begin to treat God's word like those letters. I read, those, I read stuff in here and I think, that's not true. No, that's not true because i got a thorn in my side, and you're distant. I don't feel you. Where are you? You say you're here, but I don't feel you, right? So then I shut this up, and I throw it on the shelf, and it starts collecting dust. Does anybody in here have a Bible in their home that's collecting dust right now? And the big one that has your family tree in it doesn't count, right? That one always collects dust, okay? I know that. But, but I treat God's word exactly the same. Right, I've got, I've got, I counted them before I preach. I have 17 Bibles in my personal collection at home right now. 17. 17. I'm so afraid, and I think we are so afraid what we're going to find in here. Right, I think we're, we're so afraid because my dad failed me and your dad failed you, and we're so afraid. Right, my dad put his needs before my own. Right? He put his desires before me. He physically, emotionally abused my family, my sister, my mom, everyone. Right? We are so afraid that God will do the exact same thing to us. We're so afraid of that. 
So we become slothful when it, be, when it comes to reading the Word of God. We become lazy. Just, we get this attitude of just tell me what it says. Some of you probably showed up in here this morning just hoping that I would just tell you what the Bible says, right? We, but, but the problem with that is you would not treat a cancer diagnosis the same way, would you? If a doctor came in and told you you had cancer, you wouldn't treat it that way. You'd be blowing up WebMD or calling every physician you know or getting a second opinion, right? There's no way you'd handle something like that the way we handle the Word of God. Someone else teach my kids. Put that on someone else. It's too hard. They ask weird questions. No, I don't know if Jesus appeared with Elijah. I don't, I don't know, right? Isn't there a felt board somewhere that somebody can show you how that all works? Right? Y'all feel me? I mean, I'm, I went through the same stuff. Like, I'm, my, my, I'm the same way my kids are teenagers, right? We, we're not big enough to have a youth group over there. Well, guess who, guess who that falls on? This guy. And, and I'm sorry, but I've I told my kids this, full disclosure, but after talking to people all day about this stuff, sorry, the last thing I want to do is talk to my kids about it. That's just my heart. I'm thinking, you're growing up in this house, why don't you get it? Can you not, you know, like Garfield, just through osmosis or whatever it is, you stick it on the head, just, just you know, soak it in? But the problem is, is would I, would I do that with them if it was about sex? Would I just let some random person teach them about sex? Heck no. I want somebody else teaching my kid about sex. No. Maybe you do. Maybe you do. I don't know. But, but, but the fact is, though, is, is that that still resides in us that we don't want to take the time. We have this mentality of someone else feed me. Someone else feed me. I'll, I'll, take, I'll take your word for it. I'm not smart enough to understand the scriptures anyway, so you feed me. So we begin to hide in devotionals. There's my slam on devotionals, right? We begin to hide in devotionals. Devotionals aren't e evil. Some of them are, but, but not all of them are, okay? So find you a good devotional, but, 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 but don't use that devotional to hide, right? Don't, don't, don't hide in a mega church. No one's hiding in here this morning. You want to know why? Because there's only like eight of you in here, right? See, not hiding. I just made you get up and shake hands with someone. That's uncomfortable for some. But we're in the South. And that's what we do. We say, hi, how you doing? We shake hands firmly, right? We give hugs, kiss on the cheek sometimes. All of that culminates, right? Culminates all of that in the mishandling of Scripture. And I think that's one of the biggest problems in our churches today is the mishandling of Scripture. And hear me, listen to me. You can blame Joel Osteen, right, or T.D. Jakes, or Andy Stanley, I don't care who you want to blame. It's not preaching the word like you think they ought to be preaching it. But I blame you and me. Because it's on us. Our salvation is our own responsibility. No one else's. So I blame us. We can, we can throw rocks at Osteen and Jake's all day long. But listen, those people in those seats, they're not doing the hard work of finding out for themselves. You need to do the same. Even in a church like that's healthy. Right? We need to do the same. We get fat, we get happy, complacent, right, and sloppy, and sloppy as we wander in here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday treating this word and that communion table like a pig trough. Anybody know what a pig trough looks like? 
What do pigs look like? They do this. Listen, I'm guilty of this. I'm not, I'm not condemning you. I'm saying I do it too. I wander in here, and I'm just like, communion time, let's go. I run back there to that table, eat it, and I'm out. Go sit down, let's sing some more songs, put our hands in the air. Right? Never stopping, never pausing to repent, never stopping to confess to my brothers who I've held an offense towards. There's some of you in this room right now that are mad at each other. Right? Take this morning, maybe, maybe go say hi, hug someone, confess that offense to someone, repent of wrongdoing. That's what that table's about. But we treat it like a pig trough. In and out. In and out. Go, 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 go. Walk back there, get it, walk back to your seat. Never stopping. Right? The reason we, we do communion when we do it as a church, and we do it exactly the same way over there, is because you hear the word of God. Hopefully your heart of stone is being molded and broken down to a heart of flesh, right? Massaged into a heart of flesh. And then these people up here sing songs to give you time to reflect on what the word of God just spoke to your inner being, to that, that fear, that guilt, that shame. That's what this worship is about. It's not so they can have a... a a, a, a mic in their hand and a light in their face. I know all of them, and they'd, they'd much rather be behind those black curtains where you couldn't see them, right? This moment is for us to worship God, to, 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 to love, let God love us, to love Jesus more, to know him deeply. Some of us think that this is the only time and the only place where you can indulge in this, right? That you can show up like a buffet and a smorgasbord and just, just have all of it, like, like some kind of gross Golden Corral buffet or something, right? That's not what it's about. The problem with that is and why that breaks for us is how we do church, how legacy does church. Legacy does church tight in community, right? You're going to show up here. You're going to get known. You're going to be known. Someone is going to invite you to a community group. Someone is going to invite you to lunch, Someone is going to invite you to their house for a meal. We, we, we do life tight, together, in community. But that brings with it, this is also a place where you will be called out. Right? You won't be able to hide here. And you'll be called out. Where do our hearts go? Right? When we're called out, what do we do? Right? Start to blame. Start to point blame. Who are you to judge? Whoa, 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 whoa. Who are you to judge me? Calling me out. You don't know me. Anybody ever said that or that been said too? I've said it. So then we begin to dive deeper into what brings us comfort. Our jobs, our kids, our money, pornography, addiction, sexual promiscuity, food. Right? We begin to dive into these idols, right? Because they bring us this comfort. Because the guilt, fear, and shame are too much. And these other things answer that question for us, right? They bring us, they bring us a moment of betterness. They bring us a moment of relief. But look back at Adam and Eve. I want to read Genesis 3, those verses. I'm going to read them all in one swoop. Broke them up for you a minute ago. We're going to, we're going to read them, verse 3, starting in verse 8. Or, yeah, 7. Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the, man, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord 
among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman you, whom you gave to, to be with me, she gave me the fruit of this tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Listen, a God needs to be present, right? He, he has to be present in order to, in order to ask these questions. He's present. He's real. He, com, he calls them out. He confronts them on their sin, right? But when we don't do these things, when we, when we don't act appropriately and, and behave, if you will, and I, and I know that's kind of a negative connotation, behaving, but when it comes to the scriptures behaving, this, this all culminates in the mishandling of people. And we start mishandling each other. We start blaming each other. Right? We start pointing to each other. This, this person did this. This person's fault. Right? We start hiding. Hiding in things like devotionals. Hiding in bigger churches. Right? Hiding behind things money can buy you. Listen, I'm going to turn up the good news now. Okay? I'm going to turn the good news up. I put some weight on you this morning. I apologize, but here it comes. Ready? Here's the good news. Jesus wasn't lazy when he bore the weight of the cross. When he went to the cross on Calvary, he wasn't lazy. He bore that weight for both of us. He didn't die for John Piper only. So John Piper could tell you about him. He died so you could tell others about him. Right? His exhausting work on the cross wasn't so that Beth Moore could enlighten you to the passages. Right? He bled out so his glory could be revealed to you. Could be revealed to you personally. Not someone else that's smarter than you. To you. Right? God didn't drop you like your daddy did. I, it took me a long time to believe it and sometimes I still have to remind myself. God did not drop you like your daddy did. The forsaking stopped on the cross when the earth shook. Right? He stood in the gap. Jesus stood in the gap for you between you and the wrath do you. That's good news. Matthew 26, 53 says, Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? He could have swallowed us up in that moment. He could have swallowed us up. He could have called down legions of angels with armors and swords and wiped everybody out. But he didn't. He didn't. What did he do? What did he do? John 18, 4 says, Then Jesus, knowing that all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, came forward, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I have not lost one. He stepped forward when they came for him. He didn't hide. He didn't cover. He didn't blame. He stepped forward and said, I am he. You came for me, it's me. I'm right here. That's good news for you this morning. 
That's good news for that city this morning. That's good news for me this morning. Right? This, this moment is Jesus Christ proclaiming that you, me, or anyone else on this earth cannot do anything to save themselves. It was his life, his work, his stepping in, his stepping up, his death, his resurrection, and ultimately his return that secures your eternity and salvation. That's good news. Isaiah 53, 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was silent as a lamb being led to slaughter. Isaiah 53, 5 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. He was crushed so that you could live free from the guilt and stop hiding in your false identities. He was pierced so that you could live free from the shame your idols bring. He was forsaken so that you could live free from retreating when you were faced with the depravity of your own souls. This is good news. God isn't distant like some obscure pen pal. Everybody know what a pen pal is? He's not distant like that. Right? Or I'll, I'll bring it to the 21st century, right? He's not catfishing on Facebook. He's real. Right? He's real. And he's not hiding from you. Put your pride to death and ask for help. There are people in this room that love you. Ask for help. God is the one that says, as I do not be afraid. So, so lay it out there. If the, if the king, the sovereign king of the universe, it says, it's me. Don't be afraid. I am he. I stand in the gap. If you have that going for you, what else can be against you, right? If God is for you, then who can be against you? So mothers, teach your young. Be bold. It's never too late to start. Even if they're in college, mothers, step out there. The reason we have Timothy is because of a mom and a grandma. Right? Fathers, lead your home. Defend your home with your knowledge rooted in Scripture. Pick up this book and read it. Read it. And if you don't understand it, ask for help. Teach yourselves and learn from others. Don't just learn from others. Teach yourselves. This gathering this morning, it's a great place to start. It's not, but it's not, this is not the end that justifies the means, right? We're, we're called to community. We're built for community. In the garden, we were built for community in the garden. You, you, can't, be, you, can be, you can't be unknown here. You're going to be known when you walk into this place and you call this place your home and you begin to attend. You're going to be known. And then we drill that down from this Sunday morning gathering. We drill that down to the weeknights, right, with the community on mission. That's, that's even better. It's not about this program that our church offers. It's about looking like the church in Acts for us. That's why our missional communities and our, our communities on mission are the way they are. And then, and then and we drill it down even deeper into DNA groups where, where, where men and women break up into even smaller groups, right? And they're, they're, they're transparent, look a lot like Jesus, James, and John hanging out, right? Confessing sin, showing up, smelling like a rotted, nasty corpse, and leaving feeling like a beloved son or daughter. Having the gospel preached to you over your sin that's in your life. But what it really roots down to, and we keep backing this bus up, is the one-on-one -on -one intimacy you have with your Savior. With the ruler of the universe. 
You cannot outwork or outsin God. Your intimacy with him is paramount and should be preeminent to anything else that you have in your life. I know you're busy. I get it. I'm busy too. And you're like, well, yeah, but it's your job to read the Bible. Okay. It's yours too. Because I'm no different. Just because I got this mic on my face doesn't mean I got some magic card where, where I'm supposed to read more than you. We're supposed to read the same. Our devotional or our, our intimacy, devotional intimacy with Jesus should look the same. So leaving here today, this is what you need to know. I'm, I'm closing, wrapping this thing up. This is not a collection of to whom it may concern letters. This isn't something we toss aside or throw in the trash. This also isn't a letter from a dad who's dropped you. Right? This is, this is a collection of letters written for you, to you, right? The table back there where we take communion, right? That table, listen, we, we, catch, we catch flack because the way we do communion, right? We don't pass it around. We, we, we leave that up to you. We don't do a good job in the church world, as they say, maybe of fencing the table, right? But you're all adults in here. If, if, if you know Jesus and you love Jesus today, maybe you got something you need to confess and repent of. That's okay. Back there is where we do it. Don't walk back there or not get out of your seat because you feel like you've, you've got something you're holding back and you can't go to that table. That table is where you're supposed to confess those sins. Those tables, that table is where you're supposed to confess that offense. Right? Treat it as such. Your daddy will meet you back there. He will meet you back there. He'll meet you in your seat where you're at. Or, or, we could all just treat it like we do week after week, like a pig trough, and just burn through it, not giving it three seconds, not, not, not stopping to repent, not stopping to confess, not stopping to reconcile with those we need to reconcile. We could just treat it like a sloppy trough, right? And we can take the bread and the juice. We can stand with our, our brothers and our sisters, with our daddies, arms wrapped around us, Right, feeling loved and nurtured and confess and repent and drink deep from the well of grace. Deep this morning to the well of grace. These letters concern you and me. So let's approach, let's approach his letters, right? Let's approach these letters to us like we did when we were eight. Right? With with expectancy. Let's let's be eager to run home and check the mailbox. Right? Let's be eager to wake up in the morning and check that mailbox. Let's, let's, let's tear into these pages like we did those envelopes. Right? Let's rip them open. Let's, let's gaze on his words as if we were children again. Right? Let's, let's, let's have a passion. We've, 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 our culture, we've lost the, the luster of writing letters, thus reading letters. We're such a society and a culture of we want it now. We want it now. Now, 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 now. Right? How many of you listen to the Bible on your phones? Don't raise your hand. How many of you listen to this on your phones? Why do you do that? You do it because the, the reason I do it. Because you don't have time to sit down and read it, but you can drive between appointments and get in a book or two. That's why I do it. Right? And then before we know it, a year's gone by. We haven't even opened this thing. Right? And our love and intimacy for our Father, we're so far from it. And we're so far disconnected from each other, we don't know what to do. 
And then we turn around and we look and we say, we've, we've, we've squandered money. You know, we're addicted to pornography. We're drinking. Was just socially. Now we're drinking every day. Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, that just, that pulls us away. This is your, this is your anchor to Jesus. This is it. This is where you, this is where you anchor that belief and that, and that, and that, and that past and that, that, those hurts and that fear and that blame, that guilt. You, you find all the answers to that in, in this. So let's stand. Let's sing. Let's worship this morning. I, I, I call you uh, this morning as we stand and as these guys come out to sing, I, I, I'm, ch- I, I call you, I urge you this morning to repent, to believe the gospel is for you this morning. I'm pleading with you and asking you to, to believe that his words are true, that he, he wants nothing but the best for you, wants nothing but the best for, for your family, wants nothing but the best for, for anyone in this city that you come in contact with, the people you're doing life with outside this, this room and this gathering. So let's pray and ask God to, to come this morning as we worship and as we take communion. God, we, we love you. We stand before you, God, convicted people. God, a, a, a people that, that want nothing more, God, than to, to love you, God, to worship you, God, to, to, to know you. And the way we do that is through your word. God, we, we know that, that, that you've given authors the ability to write moving text and moving books that, that, really, that really nurture our hearts. And we're thankful for those books. We're thankful for those works. But God, at the root of it, it's our relationship with you. It's our, it's our time spent with you in intimacy, devotional intimacy, where we're journaling, where we're praying, where we're crying. God, it's those moments that we're drawn the closest to you. And then those other things can come underneath that and shore that up and help. But God, we just, I ask, I plead with you for the courage this morning for people to, to get on their knees, to get on their faces, to open up their Bibles every day. God, and ask you to show up and be present, to ask you to come, and God, just hold them this morning. Hold them this morning. Let them be comforted by you. God, I pray nobody in here just, just, just rushes in and rushes out. I pray for a deep, deep drink from the well of grace this morning for everyone in this room. God, thank you for this team. Thank you for this church. God, they mean the world to my family and to the people that are across town meeting right now. God, we just ask that you would just be with us, lead, guide, protect us in all that we do. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
Speak. 
Father, I pray that just during this time as we are taking the bread and the wine and, and seeing the picture of your amazing love, as Chris reminded us, that you came forward with for us, seeing your body and blood, that we're reminded that the reason that body and blood were valuable is because you were the worthy lamb of God. Dishonoring, disrespecting, looking down upon, not praying for, not forgiving, not loving, not lamenting. Lord, we repent as a people because your gospel has rearranged the way parent-child interaction should happen. So Lord, what we ask is that your Holy Spirit would, would employ us to do the very thing, the very thing that we're reading about, the very thing that whether it's hard or easy, we take all of our joy in you, so we just, we just do the hard work. We do the hard work of forgiving. We do the hard work of investing. Lord, we love you and we thank you. This is a hard word. It's, it's hard. Every, every family is dysfunctional to some way. Everybody's got a daddy issue. Nobody walks out of the house unscathed at the age of 18. It just doesn't work that way. So much brokenness, even in the best households. We just pray, Lord, your goodness is so good to us that we're able to move through that and heal and glorify you with how we parent our kids and how we are kids towards our parents. So we love you and we thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.